Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's word. Greetings, saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. I trust that over the last couple of weeks, your walk has been well, that you've been in the word, that you've been challenged by the truth that you are reading there. And I hope that today we can have an illuminating discussion on a very, uh, I think, important topic in a topic that um, we should o- always be alert to, okay? We should always be alert to it. Now, in my regular ministry through the Grace Brethren Chapel, um, our church is preaching through the book of Second Peter, and I've had the opportunity to preach on Second Peter chapter 2, which specifically discusses the fact that false teachers will arise amongst the church or within the church, and that these false teachers will attack the sheep and lead them astray. And as I've been preaching over the last number of weeks, um, I've used quite a few examples in my sermons, and yet there are still examples of false teachers and false doctrines that I've not been able to include just for the sake of time. So this podcast, this episode today, is going to basically supplement some of those sermons that I've preached over the last number of weeks. Now, maybe you uh, don't follow my our sermons, the sermon series that we produce at the chapel. If you go to our church's website, www.gbchapel.org, you can find uh, there at the bottom of the homepage a link to our most recent sermon. And then when you go to YouTube, you can search for Grace Brethren Chapel, or if you click the link on that homepage, it'll take you to our YouTube page, and you'll be able to find the other sermons in this particular series. So now, having given you uh, the place to go to look for kind of like the main teaching on the subject of false teachers and kind of where my head space is at as I've been thinking about this for the last, let's say, this is now my fourth week preaching in Second Peter chapter 2, what I wanted to give you today are, I think, four false teachings or four false doctrines to look out for as you kind of interact with Christianity. And what I mean by that is we have access today to so many quote-unquote Christian content streams. So you can go to YouTube and find Christian content. You can uh, like go to a search page like maybe Google or Yahoo or, or Bing or whatever you want to use, and you can type in a particular question about the Bible, and you can find all kinds of answers that are populated through that search engine. Um, we have Christian influencers who are on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Uh, there are a number of different, even radio ministries. Um, for those of you who still listen to the radio, there are a number of still television programs that uh, host teachers or allow teachers to host a program that I would consider to be false teachers. We have so much access to content today. And I haven't even mentioned the, the particular medium that you're listening to right now, which is the podcast. We have so much access 
to so much content that we need to be very disciplined and diligent as we listen to content that is created or as we read content that has been generated. We need to think very carefully about what doctrines are being taught by this content and how it is that we can not be swept up by false teaching, okay? So let's examine today then four different teachings or doctrines to look out for that are false doctrines and that you should avoid at all cost. So I'm, I think I'm going to start with what everybody would know to be like the most obvious false doctrine, okay? The most obvious false doctrine, and this doctrine has been around since the time of the apostles, is that salvation is faith plus works, not faith alone. You understand? Salvation is faith plus works, not faith alone. And when you look at the New Testament, you see that the apostles who were trained by Jesus addressed this particular doctrinal error on a number of occasions throughout the New Testament. In fact, Acts chapter 15 is one of the first or earliest recorded passages or situations in church history where there was a question that arose about the keeping of the Old Testament law and whether that was necessary for salvation or not. The apostles who were also the elders of the churches, uh, the church at Jerusalem and some of the other churches in, that had been formed at that time, came together and they met, they examined the scriptures, they prayed, they, I believe, were guided by the Holy Spirit at that time because um, at that moment, you know, new revelation was still being made from God. And they came to the conclusion that no, the Old Testament law did not have to be kept in order for one to gain salvation. That was not necessary. What was necessary for salvation was a genuine faith in Jesus Christ and on the work he did at Calvary and faith alone. It wasn't anything else. Yet there were still those in the church or who were troubling the church. Let's put it that way. Some were within the church. Some were outside of the church and were troubling the church who insisted that works had to be a part of salvation, that works were necessary for salvation. The church in Galatia was particularly swept up into this, and Paul, from the very beginning of his letter to the Galatians, describes the foolishness of the Galatians for being swept up into this false teaching that works are necessary for salvation, and specifically in the book of Galatians, Paul deals with the act of circumcision, with the, the act of circumcision being something that uh, was very important to the Jews, was a cultural marker for the Jews that separated them from the Gentiles, but which if you were going to say, you know, I'm not a Jew, but I believe in Jesus, the question became, do you have to also get circumcised to be saved? And Jesus Jesus, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Paul says this to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Holy Spirit 
through the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And of course, the answer is they receive the Holy Spirit through hearing with faith, not through any works of the law. And so Paul, um, we don't have time to go through his entire argument in the book of Galatians, but Paul makes it very clear and he's very insistent that it is not works that assisted your salvation. It was faith and faith alone. And again, if you look back at the history of the Protestant Reformation that began really in the, you know, I think Martin Luther is the most famous for beginning, quote-unquote, beginning the Reformation when he nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg. However, the rumblings of that or the birth pangs of that had happened for 100 to 150 years before then. Martin Luther's big point was that it is by faith alone that we are saved, not faith plus works or faith plus anything else. It's just by faith. And so when you consider what groups or what individuals are still promoting the idea of a works-based salvation today, you go back to the same group that Martin Luther was trying to reform, which is the Roman Catholic Church. They are the biggest perpetrators in the world just by volume. I believe there are something like a billion Catholics in the world worldwide, or a billion people who identify as Roman Catholic in the world. That's a very significant portion of the world's population. Uh, it may be less than that. That statistic may be a little bit old. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, even if it's 500 million or 700 million, that's an incredible, incredibly high amount of the world's population that is basing their eternal destiny on a works-based salvation. So the Roman Catholic Church is the first, and, and they're not the original offender within Christianity. That was the Judaizers, but they are the first and most prominent offender in the world today. Another group that is less well-known uh, than the Roman Catholic Church is the Church of Christ, and they believe in baptismal regeneration. And so for them, the, the sacrament of baptism has replaced circumcision. So whereas the Judaizers were saying you have to have faith in Christ and also obey the law by becoming circumcised, the Church of Christ would say, no, you have faith in Christ and you also have to get baptized, and that will result in your salvation. So these are two groups that you should watch out for today, the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of Christ. Um, I think there are other mainline denomination churches that also are works-based salvation. I've been to funerals uh, that have been conducted by Lutheran ministers, and they also promote the idea that uh, if you were baptized as an infant in the Lutheran church, then you'll now be in heaven with Christ. Um, that's a works-based salvation. There are some Methodists who hold to a baptismal regeneration type of a thing, but that's not uniform throughout all the Methodists, so I don't want to throw the entire Methodist church under the bus, although the Methodist church does have some some issues that need to be worked through, and I, I think they are internally trying to work through some of those things. All right, so that would be the first false teaching or false doctrine to look out for, is a works-based salvation. And, you know, it could be baptism, it could be anything else. If anybody asks you or tells you that you have to add something besides faith in Jesus Christ alone to get to heaven, 
that is a workspace salvation. You need to reject that person. You need to reject that organization. You need to reject that church. All right, I would say probably if I'm looking at my list here, I've got four things on the list. The second most common or the second most um, prominent, popular, false doctrine would be the current Word of Faith movement. Now, this this is the movement that is, like, recycled, okay? Um, the current Word of Faith movement used to be called the Prosperity Gospel. It's also been called, like, the Name It and Claim It movement. Um, basically, the tenets are that if you are a Christian, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy. And, you know, the prosperity gospel got a bad rap. It was, I think, thoroughly outed as a false teaching by um, many who are Bible-believing Christians, whether they be evangelicals or maybe they were um, reformed in their thinking. The prosperity gospel was thoroughly outed. But the Word of Faith movement, I think, has kind of picked up the mantle from the prosperity gospel, and they have kind of changed the name and I believe they've also blended the prosperity gospel, like the classic prosperity gospel, with a bunch of New Age ideas that were imported from Eastern Asia. All right, so how does this come across today? Well, Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, Jesus wants you to be satisfied and successful in all that you do. Jesus is standing at the foot of the cross, inviting you to join him so that you can live your best life now. All right, that's what the messaging of the Word of Faith movement sounds like today. And if you know anything about pop, like cultural Christianity in America, you would know that probably one of the greatest perpetuators of the Word of Faith movement is a, a pastor by the name of Joel Osteen, who pastors a large church in Houston, Texas. He certainly, he, he may not like out and out identify as a word of faith pastor, but his doctrines and his teachings are 100% word of faith. Now, here's another one. Here's another pastor who is also word of faith, T.D. Jakes. He also communicates this prosperity gospel, um, this Jesus wants you to, to be wealthy if you are a child of God, then you need to be blessed by God. And if you're not blessed, it's your fault. You don't have the faith. Um, another pastor, quote-unquote, I hate to even use the word pastor because this next person is a woman, but she calls herself a pastor, so I'm just going to use her title. The next pastor who promotes a word of faith doctrine or gospel is Joyce Meyer. And then her disciple, Paula White, so Joyce Meyer is probably getting up there in age. I would guess, I would hazard to guess that she's in her mid mid to late 60s. I didn't I didn't look it up. So if she's significantly younger than that, my apologies. I don't I'm not trying to misquote anybody, but she's definitely um, getting up there. But she has a disciple named Paula White who has kind of taken up her mantle. And you know, the thing about the Word of Faith movement that I find to be so um, challenging to discern is that you can listen to a sermon by one of these pastors for like 10 minutes and there's like, no, that, you know, that's pretty good. I, I can agree with that. You know, they're using that verse and, and, or these, this passage and 
yeah, I, I see what they're saying there. That makes sense to me when I just read the plain sense of the text. But then, then they introduce this word of faith doctrine or this, this prosperity gospel doctrine into their sermon at some point. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think it's every sermon. I've listened to a number of Joel Osteen sermons, and while they are not um, all like what I would consider expositional sermons, every now and then he has a sermon that you can, that's a good devotional. That's a nice devotional. It's not what I would want to listen to on a Sunday morning, but I can't really find anything wrong with that. Okay? And that's what makes this really tricky, is that not every sermon, not every teaching, not every word that comes out of the mouths of these pastors in the Word of Faith movement is incorrect. They do have a lot of good biblical truth that they communicate, but the way that they twist the truth when it comes to prosperity, the way that they twist twist the truth when they encourage those who are in the audience to basically demand that God give them health or wealth or whatever the desire of their heart is, that is where this gospel becomes really dangerous. It's absolutely destructive to people. And the ultimate result of, I think, this word of faith teaching is that people become disillusioned with the power of God's word. You know, they sit under this teaching, they give their gifts of seed faith, they hope that God is going to give them this big return, and then all of a sudden it's like years go by and they never receive the return. But the pastor's getting wealthy, the prominent leaders in the church are getting wealthy, other people are getting wealthy. Why am I not getting wealthy? Well, what's the answer? The answer always boils down to, well, you don't have enough faith or you didn't give enough in faith. And so it's always give more, have more faith. It's always your fault that, the, that this word of faith did not work for you. You didn't follow the steps correctly. You didn't do this right. That, my friends, is the sign of a false gospel. That's a false gospel. Because the reality is, if, if I, as a pastor, am taking the word of God and I am explaining the plain meaning of the Word of God to the people, and they take that and they start doing it in their lives, they should see growth in Christ-likeness. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to see growth in personal wealth. It doesn't mean that they're going to see growth in personal um, health. It doesn't mean that God will give them every desire of their heart but they will become more like Christ. And that's really the difference when you look at expositional preaching and expositional teaching and the effect that it has on people. People change despite their circumstances. But the Word of Faith movement says you can't change because it's your fault. Your circumstances can't change because you lack faith. You have made God angry and he's not letting you grow. See, that's a very different way to treat growth. It's a very different approach to growth. And that's what makes this word of faith so dangerous. It appeals to people 
unfortunately, it appeals to people who are the poorest among us. Because if you were poor, wouldn't you want to receive a gospel that would make you wealthy and would make you healthy? Of course you would. When I talk to my friends who are native pastors in Cameroon, Uganda, uh, and other countries in Africa and around the world, they tell me that the, the most uh, rapidly growing movement that they ex- encounter in their ministries is the Word of Faith movement. Word of Faith and Islam. Those are the two movements that are rapidly expanding in third world countries. And you can see why Word of Faith movement would be expanding in a third world country. If you lived in a third world country, wouldn't you want a gospel that could get you healthy and wealthy? Of course you would. Of course you would. So my friends, this is a teaching and doctrine that you need to look out for. And I named, I think, four. I named four pastors who are involved in this. But my friends, there are so many more. You need to listen very carefully for key phrases like, Jesus has a good plan for your life. Um, If you plant your seed of faith, then God will give you a harvest beyond your wildest imaginations. If you hear things like that, phrases that are similar to that, you know that the person you're listening to is a word of faith practitioner. All right, let's go to the third one, okay? What, what would be the third one? The third and fourth teachings uh, that are false, I think both arise out of the postmodern view of man. Now, now, what is postmodern view of man? I mean, that's like, wow, Jonathan, you're, you're way over our heads now, okay? I don't want to be way over your heads. The postmodern view of man basically is a, is a position that says there's no absolute truth, and whatever serves the individual the best is the right thing for that individual, okay? The postmodern view of society, of man, says no absolute truth, Find your own truth, and whatever serves you best for your life is right for you. Okay? That's very simple. Um, So what that ultimately looks like is that I can have a different reality. I can have a different set of truths that impact my life that are good for me versus somebody else. They may have their own set of truths. They may have their own set of values. And if they're operating according to their truths and their values, and I'm operating according to my truths and my values, and the way that we live life is different, what are we going to do about that? You know, in previous generations, we would fight a war so that my worldview won against his worldview, or maybe he fought against me so that he could defeat my worldview. No, no, no. The postmodern man doesn't want to fight wars anymore. The postmodern man wants to say, you're right, and you're right, and you're right, and you're right, And all four people who are right have four contrary ways of viewing the world and thinking about how the world works. This is how we get to um, the wonderful phrase or wonderful word that has been tossed around over the last number of years in our culture, inclusivity. We want to be more inclusive. When you hear the word inclusive, all that means is I'm going to let you believe whatever you want to believe and I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, okay? You believe whatever you want. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. I'm going to affirm you, 
And in return, you are going to affirm me. You're going to let me do whatever sin I want to do, and you're going to do whatever sin you want to do. And the only thing we're going to be united against is any worldview that tells us that absolute truth exists and that we are in violation of absolute truth. So the, the inclusion crowd, the inclusion crowd will allow one another to sin in various ways, but they are united against any one or any organization or any religion that says there's only one absolute truth and we have it and you don't. And really, isn't that the foundation of the majority of religions? Don't Islamic people believe that? They're supposed to. How about Hindus? They should. How about Christians? Absolutely, we should. And yet there are, there are breaches in Christian culture. There are breaches into those who would hold to a historic perspective of the Christian faith. There are breaches that have allowed postmodern thinking into the church, okay? Now, I want to make a distinguishment here, okay? Churches, like the mainline denomination churches, like Anglicans, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, um, Lutherans, Presbyterians, not the conservative branches of Presbyterians, but the, um, I think it's PCUSA. Um, I think that's, I think it is. Please don't. If I'm wrong, forgive me, okay? These mainline denominations abandoned any foothold or place of standing on the Bible a long time ago, over, over 100 years ago, 125 years ago or longer. Those aren't the groups I'm talking about. I'm talking about groups that would identify as Reformed, groups that would identify as Evangelical, groups that would identify as Conservative maybe Baptist or Independent Bible, these are the groups that I think are now kind of wavering when it comes to some of the false teachings that I'm about to explain. And and I'm not sure if they're doing it because of the cultural moment that we live in, or if the, the practitioners and leaders of these groups really believe these things themselves, um, if they're doing it from a misguided perspective on being quote-unquote winsome to unbelievers. I'm not sure. I don't know the motivations. All I know is that I see it happening, and you should see it happening too, and you should watch out for it. Okay? So what are these false teachings or doctrines? I I don't really have um, some categories. I don't really have well-defined... I have well-defined categories. Let me just give you the titles, okay? Here's the first one, okay? The God is Love, Not Judgy Movement. Now, that is not an official title. If you Google that, you're not going to find it, okay? You're not going to find it. But that's what I'm calling it. The God is Love, Not Judgy Movement. And this is the movement that is basically um, promoting an incomplete or wrong view of God. They are emphasizing the character attribute of love that God has, which he does have, and they are de-emphasizing his attribute of holiness, which then results in his judgment or his justice, his wrath against sin. The God is love, not judgy movement is very, very careful to say, yeah, some sins, 
some sins are, are real sins. But, you know, maybe historically we need to rethink some other sins. Like maybe we didn't have an accurate historical reading of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe we didn't have an accurate historical reading of some other sins in the scriptures that, you know, used to be considered sins, but now aren't sins anymore, like maybe eternal condemnation. Maybe we need to rethink these things. And so, like, if I'm going to just put some people into this category, the God is love, not judgy movement, I'm going to start by putting Rob Bell into this movement, uh, a pastor at Mars Hill Church, I think near Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, wrote a book a number of years ago called Love Wins, basically arguing for the fact that, yes, God will judge people for their sin, but it's not a eternal judgment. It's a it's a limited judgment, and, and eventually people will be able to pay for their sins and get out of hell. Okay, this is a very short summary of the book. But basically, he's saying God's love will override his justice and his wrath, and therefore, some people, people will get out of hell. Some people will, all right? So, so that's a person who I would put in this God is love, not judgy movement. Another, um, this is going to be a good controversial one, another group that I'm going to throw into this movement is the Revoice Movement. The Revoice Movement is a segment of the Reformed Church who has been redefining the biblical teaching on homosexuality and sexuality in the scriptures. The Revoice Movement, I think, began in 2017, maybe 2018, and what it seeks to do is to say that, you know what? God does not condemn homosexuality per se, but what God does condemn is the abuses of homosexual behavior. So, consensual homosexual sex between two men or two women, totally fine. Rape between a man and a man or rape between a woman and a woman, non-consensual sex, those are not fine. And so they would say something like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the issue there wasn't necessarily that the men were homosexual in general. It was that they, they were not hospitable. They were wanting to force the visitors to have sexual relationships with them against their will. That's, that's what the issue was, okay? Now, that is an issue, all right? That certainly is an issue. That is a sin, that characterized Sodom and Gomorrah. But the greater sin that characterized Sodom and Gomorrah was the wanton licentiousness that um, was prevalent and rampant throughout the city. And if you were to go back and look at what we, what I've talked about in 1 Peter over the last few weeks, you would see that in uh, 1 Peter, I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, that Lot was bothered by the continual sensual conduct of these men. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. And if God rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. 
So Peter explains very clearly to us, it wasn't this like one-time event where the, the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah were trying to take advantage of the angels who visited. That wasn't the issue. The issue was day after day after day, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were committing lawless deeds that were totally contrary to God's stated design and desire. That's the issue. But the God is love, not judgy movement wants to redefine these biblical stories so that we can somehow accept people who practice what we would call non-traditional, they're going to, I'm going to put it this in quotes, non-traditional forms of sexuality. Like the fact that you have to call it a non-traditional form of sexuality should tell you that it's wrong right there. That should tell you it's wrong. We're, we shouldn't do that. But again, the postmodern man wants to acknowledge that there is no absolute truth. They want to let everybody have their own truth. And so part of that becomes the redefining of words, okay? Redefining of situations, the redefining of interpretations. And the God is love, not judgy movement is very, very good at that. So be careful. When you hear people saying things like, we need to re-examine how the scriptures have been historically interpreted. If somebody in the 21st century is going to think that they're going to come up with a brand new novel interpretation of Scripture, that is not somebody who is trustworthy. That is not a trustworthy person. Do not follow them. They are a false teacher. Okay? Now, finally, the last group of false teachers or false doctrines to look out for is the... um, Blank identity Christian, okay? The blank identity Christian. Again, this is another heading or subset that I made up, but what I'm going to, I'm going to explain it to you and you're going to understand it, okay? The blank identity Christian is the person who puts any modifier before the name Christian, all right? I'm a gay Christian. I'm an addicted Christian. Um, I'm an affirming Christian. I'm a blank Christian. Anytime you put something before Christian, you are all of a sudden not a Christian. All right? Christian means Christ-like. So if you are adding something before Christian, then you are saying that's what Jesus is, and that's a false teaching. That's a lie. Jesus was not gay. Jesus was not affirming. Jesus was not addicted. Jesus was not any sin. All right? So if if you're taking some type of sin or some type of identity and you're placing it before Christian and you're saying, I'm a blank Christian, you yourself are misguided. You may not even be saved. And those who would congratulate you or affirm your said identity are doing you a great service, and they themselves may not even be saved. I think this is a really powerful, this is a really powerful false teaching that's present right now, because everybody wants to celebrate some kind of unique individuality. Everybody wants to celebrate some kind of like, look at me, I'm so special. Again, the result of the postmodern worldview. Your truth is your truth, and everybody should affirm your truth. 
Everybody should affirm what you say about yourself. And if they don't, they're big and mean. They're mean. They're not nice. They don't like you. On the contrary, on the contrary, God, who is love, defined moral standards for humanity. And he said, if you don't meet these moral standards, then you are a sinner. And if you have sinned against me, the wages of sin is death, and you will spend an eternity paying the price for your sin. But I love you so much that I'm going to send my son Jesus to live on this earth, and he certainly did. He came born of a virgin. He was 100% man, 100% God. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He was the only acceptable sacrifice that could actually pay the penalty for the sins of humankind on the cross of Calvary. And when he paid that penalty, when he said it is finished, God accepted that payment and it satisfied his wrath against sinners. Now, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden we have universal salvation. No, what it means is that those who were elected to salvation now had a means to pay for their salvation. That's, that's what the scriptures teach. I don't know how else to get around that. People will be like, well, that's very Calvinistic of you. It is Calvinistic. I'm sorry, Calvin just observed what was in the text of scripture. Just read Ephesians chapter 1. You should say that's very Ephesianistic of you, very Pauline of you. Well, that's just what they, that's what the Holy Spirit wrote, and so that's what we should believe. Doesn't matter if Calvin recognized it and put it into a systematic theology. That's not a criticism of Calvin in any way, shape, or form. It's a criticism of those who will dismiss what the Bible says just because somebody noticed it and wrote it in a book. All right, soapbox over. Back to the main point. Okay, soapbox over. Back to the main point. All right, if somebody says, I'm a blank identity Christian to you, you need to be very very suspect of their words. Very suspect of that. What do you mean, blank identity Christian? Listen to what Paul had to say uh, from Galatians chapter 6. I'm sorry, not Galatians. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is verse 9. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, very plain. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. How can you say if you were if you were one of those things, if you were a fornicator, if you were an idolater, if you were an adulterer, how can you go back and then now identify as that? That doesn't make any sense to me, and yet that's what people are doing. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an effeminate Christian. I'm a same-sex attracted Christian. I'm a homosexual Christian. I'm a drunk Christian. Okay, maybe you're a Christian who got drunk one time, but if you're going to continue practicing drunkenness, I have caused to question whether you're really a Christian or not. Such were some of you. How dare you 
go back and identify with your sin before the name Christian. How dare you? Totally wrong. Totally uncalled for. All right. Well, I better, I better quit now before I get way too fired up. I'm already fired up. This, this kind of stuff really gets me going because people get taken advantage of, and then the Word of God gets um, trampled upon, and the name of Christ becomes shamed. And that just really makes me angry. It makes me angry to see God's Word trampled upon and our precious Savior's name get brought down in shame. If you happen to be teaching one of these false doctrines, I pray you repent. If you happen to have listened to one of these false doctrines, I pray you repent. And if you have not either taught or been taken captive by one of these false doctrines, I pray you rejoice and you ask God to continue to give you discernment that you do not fall into the schemes of the devil. Remember, We are fighting a spiritual battle, and Satan is smart. He wraps up falsehoods with the truth, and he makes them look shiny, and he wants you to swallow hook, line, and sinker. And when you've done that, he's caught you. So we need to be discerning, we need to be careful, we need to be diligent, and we need to be grounded in the Word of God. I pray you read the Word of God. Stay strong in the scriptures. All right, until next time, God bless you. May you do your best to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ in all you do.